Hello everybody and welcome to the podcast. But what's it all about? Well, I'll tell you. Every episode I'll be looking back on films that shaped my life growing up. It may be good, it may be bad, it may be the Super Mario Brothers movie. So sit back and enjoy as I rank some of my favourite movies of all time. This is the Black Magic Picture Show. Everybody, good happy Sunday and welcome to episode four of the Black Magic Picture Show. This week it will be one of my favourite films of all time. Uh, I have been starting this, uh, as we say, we're on episode four, and I'm picking some of the films that was quintessentially my childhood. We've had Back to the Future, we've had the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, what was episode three? My mind has currently drawn a black. Oh, the Blues Brothers. Uh, so we've had Blues Brothers in there, and this is another belter. Uh, this There is video circulating. Uh, I think I've still got them on VHS from when I was a child, quoting bits of this film. Uh, this is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It's It feels like it's kind of, ne- uh, what's the word? A necessity to do it, because Bill and Ted 3 has just been released. I did talk about that a couple of weeks back. I will talk about it a little bit during this podcast, so if you haven't seen it yet, unfortunately, spoilers, don't listen to the rest of it until you've actually got around to watch it. Uh, But yeah, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. It was a film I grew up with, same with Bogus Journey, which was the sequel. And I thought, I want to do this because it is such... It's a classic film, it's a good film. It was kind of the start of Keanu Reeves' career, and you look where he is now with the likes of things like John Wick, uh, there's going to be a new Matrix film that's going to be released the same day as John Wick, which is a bit strange. Uh, but yeah, uh, Keanu Reeves' career has just skyrocketed. Uh, so, welcome to the podcast. Um, this week, I have been watching a few, let's call them cheesy films. I've uh, been having a flick through things like Netflix and just looking for things that I wouldn't probably normally watch. I do like some cheesy horror films, uh, but... I've just been having a look what's out there and just watching some things that I've probably never seen before. Uh, two of the films watched this week, I've watched Deep Blue Sea 3. I've seen, well, most people have seen Deep Blue Sea 1. I didn't even know there was a 2 and 3 made. Uh, but yeah, we watched Deep Blue Sea 3. And I also watched Money Plane. Uh, now, Deep Blue Sea 3 is essentially the same film as the first one. Uh, some sharks have been genetically modified they start attacking it's kind of like a little research island it's like floating wood cabins uh and if anybody has watched lost uh the girl who plays alex the daughter of the french lady 
She is the main character. Uh, these some mercenaries that come to the island with the intention of stopping the bull sharks, when really all they want to do is blow up that ecosystem and kill everything. I'm not going to lie, it's not a great film. Uh, at one point, she becomes friends with a great white shark, and the great white shark kind of saves her. Uh, so, yeah, if you like shark films, give it a watch. If you like really, really, really bad films, give it a watch. If if you don't, don't, because it's, it's not a great film. Uh, also watched Money Plane, which has Edge from WWE and Frasier, uh, Kelsey Grammer. And it's basically Edge is a... He's kind of a criminal. He does heists. He gets set up on a museum mission to steal a painting. And he has to infiltrate a plane that's got a casino on full of like the world's worst gangsters and criminals. Um, that one's not a bad film. The CGI on it and the graphic... Uh, not the graphics. What's the word I'm looking for? The CGI and the... The, kind of like the action scenes are a little bit, they're a little bit over the top and not great, but it's a watchable film. I, I kind of enjoyed that one. Uh, and then a little bit earlier on today, I watched a film that I've not seen for a long time. I forgot they actually made a TV show of it as well, uh, which was Harry and the Hendersons, uh, which is John Lithgow. And he runs over Bigfoot and takes Bigfoot back to his house and the family raise him. And yeah, I've not seen it for a long time and I, I kind of enjoyed it. I couldn't remember very much of it apart from the first scene where he's trashing the house. Um, but, yeah, it's quite a good film. Um, Poirot, uh, David Suchet, is also in the film, and I didn't recognise him for about half an hour, and I'm like, hang on a minute, isn't that Poirot? Uh, so, yeah, Harry and the Ensign's currently on Netflix. If you've not seen it for a long time, go get it watched. It's a good film. Uh, so, we, we're going to jump straight into it today. Uh, there's not a lot to cover. Um, I've actually struggled a lot with the clips for this episode, and there was a few that I wanted to use, couldn't find them on YouTube. Uh, it's quite hard clipping the films. There's one at the very end. I wanted the full clip, and unfortunately, there was just the one line out of it that was usable. So I've had to take one where the sound quality is not great, uh, but we'll you'll hear it when we get to it. So this week, uh, we are doing Bill and Ted, Excellent Adventure. So Bill, Alex Winter, and Ted, Keanu Reeves, a high school buddy starting a band. However... They're about to fail their history class, which means that Ted would be sent to military school. They receive help from Rufus, George Carlin, a traveller from the future where their band is the foundation for a perfect society. With the use of Rufus's time machine, Bill and Ted travel to various points in history with returning and returning sorry, with important figures to help them complete their final history presentation. Pretty good synopsis, to be honest. That covers the film. Uh, they're just basically travelling through time. They've got to collect important people and do a presentation to pass history. If they flunk, Ted's getting sent to Alaska to Colonel Oates Military School. Colonel Oates, you do me in Bill and Ted too. Uh, so, as per, I do an alternate synopsis in under five words. And for this one, it will be Slackers Kidnap Some Historical Dudes. Uh, quite, quite straight to the point. Um, I was torn between Slackers and Stoners. They kind of portrayed as Stoners. There is no drug references. Um, however, when I get into a little bit in a minute, which was the original plan of the film, uh, the spec script, there was some changes where there was a few drug references in there, uh, but they were more slackers more than anything. Uh, they were just the happy-go-lucky guys. That's basically kind of just rode through life, not really caring. They just wanted to be in a band and get Eddie Van Halen. Uh, so, the film's released in on February the 17th, 1989, di directed by Stephen Herrick, 
written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, distributed by Orion Pictures. Uh, the running time is a nice 90 minutes, a good hour and a half watch. Uh, it stars Keanu Reeves as Ted Theodore Logan, Alex Winter as Bill S. Preston Esquire, George Carlin as Rufus, Terry Camilleri, I believe that's how you pronounce it, Camilleri as Napoleon Bonaparte, Dan Shaw as Billy the Kid, Tony Steedman as Socrates or Socrates, Rod Loomis as Sigmund Freud, or Freud, Freud, however you want to pronounce it, Al Leong, uh, best known for one of the henchmen in Die Hard as Genghis Khan, Jane Weedlin as Joan of Arc, Robert V. Barron as Abraham Lincoln, and Clifford Davis as Ludwig van Beethoven. Uh, having a quick look through the cast, uh, unfortunately, George Carlin no longer with us. Uh, George Carlin, a stand-up genius. Been watching quite a few of his stand-up specials over... Um, I can't remember where I watched them. I've found a few recently. Uh, been going through them. His Seven Words You Can't Say on TV is a classic st- sketch. Uh, also, um, Tony Steedman, who was Socrates, unfortunately not with us anymore, and Clifford, Clifford Davis, who played Beto, uh, Beethoven, Beethoven, whatever you want to call him, uh, died recently as well, sadly. Uh, everybody else is still alive. Um, and with for that very reason, I was kind of surprised. Again, I don't want to ruin much of Bill and Ted 3, but I was kind of hoping for a few cameos from some of the original cast now. Death is back in it, who's from Bill and Ted 2. Uh, unfortunately, nobody from Bill and Ted 1, bar Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, does make an appearance in it, which a little bit disappointing, but it was like 30 years past the time and they're not going to be the same age as what they was back then. Uh, the film itself, it cost $6.5 million to make. It made $40.5 million back, so not a massive box office, but still decent and made a profit. Uh, so it was written by Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson uh, in early 1987. It was based on a comedy stand-up routine they performed while in college. Um, the director called the screenplay "Laugh Out Loud." Laugh out loud. Sorry, my what are words today? Uh, but recognised that some of its off humour was targeted at a specific audience, so it was either going to be a huge flop or a huge hit. Um, and because of that very reason, when Stephen Herrick did shop round for distributors. Did struggle a little bit, uh, went to Warner Brothers, and they wanted to produce it within a $10 million budget, but couldn't figure out how to fund it. So it ended up being picked up by, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Dino De Laurentiis. Looks a bit like it's meant to be Laurenitis, but it's Lauren, T-I-I-S, through the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. Um, It was produced and distributed by Orion Pictures. Um, Orion, I believe, went out of business for a while and made a comeback quite recently. Uh, I think somebody else bought them out. Uh, So, Bill and Ted, the co-writers did say in an interview that the two characters were originally envisaged as 14-year-old skinny skinny kids uh, with low-rider bell-bottoms and heavy metal t-shirts, and they were despised by all the popular kids at school. Kind of... Just hearing that makes me kind of think a little bit of Beavis and Butthead. Um, but once you cast Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters, who, to be fair, Keanu Reeves is like one of the coolest guys around at the minute, it's one of them where you kind of can't see people hating on him. He is the... I'm not going to lie, his earlier work like with this and some of the stuff up to maybe The Matrix, his acting was a little bit wooden. And there is the line that comes from Bill and Ted, which you could kind of use in any... Uh, Keanu Reeves film which is 
whoa. You could kind of chuck it in anything. Uh, but because they were the cool guys, everything got changed, and they were basically the guys that wanted to be in a band. Uh, and, yeah, they changed it all. Uh, but I did a little bit of research on it because I've never really heard any backstory type thing of Bill and Ted. Um, and I found, and I'm going to read it word for word because it it hinted on a spec script, which is basically the film before the final draft of the film that gets made. Uh, so it's a little bit long this, so bear with it. So it says, originally as a spec script, the film had been called Bill and Ted's Time Van. While the core plot, core plot was similar, with Bill and Ted on the verge of failing their history class and threatening to ruin their idea of forming a band together, events in the spec script initiated when the pair had borrowed a van from their 28-year-old friend Rufus. While driving the van, they ended up in Nazi Germany and, after some hijinks, bring Adolf Hitler back to San Dimas in the present while they continue to collect other historical figures. Solomon, who's one of the writers, affirmed this clearly became problematic and Hitler was switched out with Napoleon in their final script. Other concepts in the spec script that were dropped included more involvement of Bill and Ted's classmate having them travel in time with them, visiting Julius Caesar in the Roman Empire and causing his death, and befriending a caveman in the prehistorical age to help him invent fire so they could light up a joint. That's the drug reference that I ran about earlier. Uh, the van, originally to be a 1969 Chevrolet, was abandoned as being too close in concept to the DeLorean used in the Back to the Future trilogy. This was later replaced with a phone booth, but contrary to popular belief, it was not intended as a reference to the TARDIS from the British sci-fi show Doctor Who, with Matheson saying all of us were so clueless and knew nothing about Doctor Who. In the earlier drafts of the script, other historical figures Bill and Ted plucked from history included Charlemagne, who they referred to as Charlie Mangay, Babe Ruth, and a famous, non-famous, sorry, medieval person called John the Surf. John is listed in the credits. So there was quite a bit of change based on the original script compared to what the script ended up becoming. Uh, there was look at more famous people who were going to be pulling back, but I think the film, how it is now, does work. Uh, so in regards to the roles, as I say, Keanu Reeves, Alex Winters, most well, well, Alex Winters especially, most well known for this role. Uh, he is in a film called Freaks, and if you've not seen Freaks, it was from the mid-90s, I believe. Absolutely amazing. Give it a watch. Uh, also in Lost Boys as well. Uh, but people contemplated, uh, Paulie Shaw uh, was one of the people considered for the role of Ted. And then in regards to Bill, uh, River Phoenix, Sean Penn, and also Brendan Fraser. Uh, they reportedly auditioned for the role as Bill. Uh, so Keanu Reeves was the first one to be cast, and the director quickly identified him as Ted, so they had to cast kind of around Keanu to try and find someone who'd be a good fit and have good chemistry. Um, and on the first day, Keanu was one of the first people to arrive, along with Alex Winters, and they actually found out that they got a lot of things in common, so things like bass guitar, because before acting, Keanu was a musician, he played bass guitar in a band, and he has done... He doesn't do it very often, but over the years he has done a couple of things with the band, and I want to believe they was called Dogstar, if I remember right. It's Dog something, I'm sure it's Dogstar. Um, and yeah, they got friends over bass guitars and motorcycles, and recently on YouTube there has actually been a few videos put up of their audition, and you can see the Bill and Ted in it, but the characters seem a little bit more cocky. Um, they're not as slacker type. Uh, they tone that back a little bit um, and basically turn them more into slackers. And yeah, the rest is history. 
so also we got George Carlin, as I mentioned, one of the greatest stand-ups in the world, as Rufus. Uh, the reason he got cast, it was a happy accident, apparently. Uh, the original plan, they wanted to have Eddie Van Halen as Rufus. Um, there's multiple Van Halen references all through the film. Uh, but unfortunately, because of the budget, they couldn't get Eddie Van Halen. Uh, they looked into other people to fit the rock motif. Uh, so people like Ringo Starr, Roger Daltrey, Sean Connery, uh, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> that would have been interesting if they had got Charlie Sheen in that role. Um, but they realised then they kind of wanted a comedian. Uh, so George Carlin got cast. And one of the best pieces of casting. George Carlin fits that role perfectly. Gets a bit more of an expanded role in the second film. Unfortunately, had passed by the time the third one got made, but there is a nice little cameo, not cameo per se, but a little moment uh, in respect for him, and it's really nice how they did it. Uh, also, again, I don't want to ruin too much, but there's it's Rufus's daughter that comes back to help him in the third one, and Rufus's daughter's called Kelly, which is George Carlin's daughter's real name. Uh, so, nice little nod there to George Carlin, sadly passing away. Uh, other famous people in there, uh, the three most important people in the world, which is when Bill and Ted go to the future. Uh, they are played by Clarence Clemens, Fee, Bill, uh, Fee Waybill and Martha Davis of the E Street Bands, The Tubes and The Motels respectively. Um, the original plan was to get ZZ Top. ZZ Top were going to be the three most, pe um, three most important people in the utopian society. That would have been pretty cool, um, but Ed Solomon had connections to the E Street Band, the Tubes, and the Motels, uh, so he pulled them three instead. ZZ Top then going on to make a cameo in Back to the Future 3 as the band there. And then the final bit is the ending. Originally, the film was going to end with Bill and Ted giving the report in the small classroom, passing the class, and then going to the prom with the rescue princesses. Instead, it was completely changed, and they do the whole uh, bit with all the historical figures, and then the princesses arrive with Rufus. They become the basically the wild stallions. And that is the film there. So we are going to jump into it. So here we go. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill S. Preston, Esquire. And I'm Ted... Oh, Bill, here, you take it. Okay. <laughs> So I'm not going to lie, like I said at the start of the podcast, there is videos of me as a child on VHS tape somewhere up in my loft, I believe, where I may be three to four years old, possibly, doing that. I'm Bill S. Preston Esquire. I'm Ted Theodore Logan. Together we're Wild Stallions, shouting excellent, and then air guitaring in my pants. And I deny anybody that says they have probably never done that in their life because it is an iconic line from a film. Um, that and whoa. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so it starts off with Bill and Ted explaining that they can't play guitar, they want Eddie Van Halen, but Eddie Van Halen's not going to join until they have a cool music video, but they can't have a music video without good instruments. But what's the point in having good instruments if they can't play? And because they can't play, they need Eddie Van Halen. Um, the amps blow up, which I have never seen an amp explode like that 
ever. Uh, so much smoke coming out of little what looked like 50-watt Marshall stacks. Uh, I don't think that had happened, in all honesty. Uh, but it is what it is. So Bill and Ted get then set up for the exposition for the rest of the film, where they're in the classroom. Uh, there's a nice line in there, which throws into Joan of Arc, coming into it later on, where the teacher asks Bill, who is Joan of Arc? Uh, sorry, asks Ted, who is Joan of Arc? And his response is Noah's wife. Uh, that always gets me every time I watch this film. But the teacher basically sets it up going, if you flunk this class, you're going to flunk school. You need to sort something out. And if you look at the board behind him, all of the people that they collect from there are all written on the board in some form or other. Uh, so the exposition for the film's there. So Bill and Ted leave. They've decided that they need to do something. They're going to study. They're going to do a presentation. One bit I do want to pull up on and... It's more of a US thing than the UK, because I can't think of anything UK, both film-wise or in real life, that I've seen. What is it with convertible cars, when somebody's getting into the back seat, they can't open the door, they've got to climb onto the car, stand on the edge of the car, and then jump in? If I did that, if we had a convertible car, and I jumped into my mum's car, like they do, I would get battered around the back of the head. Because that's not how you get in a car, you open the door and you climb in. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's one of them things you see a lot in American films. Um, so if anybody, American friends out there, can answer that question for me, what is it with jumping on the side of a car to get into it? I would like an answer because it's not something that happens in the UK very often. Uh, so we then get introduced to the three most important people. Uh, they tell Rufus that he's got to come back in time. Uh, this is the first appearance of the phone box. Now, this would not work in the UK. Our phone boxes are way too small to be able to fit multiple people into them. You can barely get in yourself and have enough room. Um, and it also shows I've got something a little bit later on I want to ask on the phone booth side of things. But it just wouldn't work. The phone booths are small. Get something bigger. It's easier to travel in time. And yeah. Um, so the first half of the film is uh, the first bit of the film is literally just introducing the cast. We get introduced to Ted's side of the family. Uh, his dad is high up in the police force, and he thinks that Ted becoming a musician is stupid. He wants him to basically go to an Alaskan military school, and it's almost hinted that he wants him to follow in his footsteps and become like somewhere in the police. Uh, but that's not what Ted wants to do. Uh, we meet Bill's dad and Missy, who, in the third film, they explain a bit more about Missy in that Bill and Ted both asked her to the prom. Uh, she was a, f uh, a senior when they were freshmen, so she's not much older than what they are. Uh, and dad, uh, Bill's dad ends up giving her one in Bill's room, which is uh, kind of strange, but, you know, it is what it is. Bill. What? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Okay, so Rufus now has appeared. Rufus has set up the plot in the... Because they also meet the future Bill and Ted's as well from like a day later. Um, he basically introduces himself and goes, All right, I have a time machine. Let's go in time. You can ask someone... Because they're, they're asking just before that about um, Napoleon and when like Napoleonic War was. Uh, and he's like, well, why don't you ask him? And they get in the time machine, and they travel back to France. Uh, 
Now, this is where you can kind of, especially on that clip, you can see Keanu's wooden acting that plagued him for a long time. He's very, a lot of his words, and he kind of lasted up to maybe the Matrix time. Uh, Very monotonous how he does stuff, and yeah. He, he was very, very wooden. Luckily, nowadays, especially things like John Wick, he has lightened up a little bit. Um, another bit that did make me laugh, and again, if you've not seen Bill and Ted 3, I do apologise for this. There is a line that Bill drops here where they use a variant of it in the later film, uh, where Bill in this one goes, um, why would we lie to ourselves? It's like, if we would lie, why would we lie to ourselves? And then in the third one, he goes... It's not classed as stealing if we steal it from ourselves. Uh, it just makes me crack every time. Uh, there's a lot of lines in the third one that throws back to the first and second, and it is really good. Uh, so, as I say, they go to France. They find Napoleon. Uh, they travel back because they, they're in the middle of a war, essentially. Uh, and Napoleon gets hit by hit in the back by an explosion, knocked into the portal, and gets pulled through with the time machine into the current time. Now, one bit I did notice in this, and I've never noticed before, if when Rufus is telling them what they've got to do with the time machine, look up in the top right corner of the screen, you can actually see Napoleon's feet in the tree. Never noticed it before. I thought, literally, as they start walking away and he drops, that's his appearance. He's not. He's in the tree for a good two three minutes i guess never spotted it before um yeah this is why i like re-watching old films because you pick up on things that you've never picked up on the first time uh so they take napoleon into the house uh they get deacon who is ted's brother to look after him um ted starts to leave gets grabbed by his dad who basically says right i've had enough get your bags packed you're going to alaska tomorrow uh, so Bill does the fake call and says, if you want your keys, because Ted's dad's lost his keys, if you want your keys, come down to the station to get them. Ted leaves. They jump in the uh, phone booth. Ted's dad comes out and sees the lightning on the ground and there's a big flash. And throughout the films, like the second one, where they jump into his dad's head and they basically use him as a puppet in a way. And then, again... It's running on to Bill and Ted 3, but at the beginning of Bill and Ted 3, they're like, Dad, we've travelled through time. We've got to save the world. He's like, you've not travelled through time. You don't have to save the world. You've never been to hell. You're making all this stuff up. But there's bits through both of the first two films that his dad should have a suspicion. Like, as I say, the lightning on the floor, uh, the jumping inside of the head, because they know something's wrong in there because they give each other a weird look afterwards. Uh, And... He never really twigs on about what's actually happening, but yeah, Ted's dad is a little bit dumb. Who's he? He's Billy the Kid. He's famous, dude. Let's back him. I need two men. Who's with me? We're with you, Billy the Kid. Here's the deal. Would I win? I keep. Would you win? I keep. 
Sounds good, Mr. The Kid. So they go into the Wild West Times, and the first person they are picking up is Billy the Kid. Uh, now, there's a bit at the, just before Billy comes in uh, where they go to the bar and they're like, two beers, please, and they're so happy that they don't get ID'd. As far as I'm aware, they're meant to be around 17, maybe, 17, 18. Obviously, the legal drinking age in America is 21. If they were in the UK, that wouldn't have been a thing. Uh, I know it's kind of bad, but I used to be in the local pub to us from 16, and you never really got ID'd. Uh, if you're going to like the big chain places like Weatherspoons and things like that, they probably would. But the local pubs... No, no, like most of the time you get away with it. Now and again you might get ID'd, but the, I'm not going to name the pub that we went into, but it was near my first place of work. They never cared. Uh, we were in there every other Thursday, and there used to be about 10 or 12 of us. We'd finish work, go straight in, spend the night in there. So, yeah, if they're in the UK, that wouldn't have been a thing. They wouldn't have been happy getting ID'd. Um, so, yeah, they go into the bar now to me, and I don't think it is just for the staircase in the back corner. But the bar does look eerily similar to the bar from Back to the Future 3. I don't think it was because Back to the Future 3 was filmed after this one. And as far as I'm aware, they built the entire set for that on like the Hollywood back lot. Um, but there's just little bits of it like the bar and the way, like the angle of where the door is to the bar and like the little balcony bit on it just, it kind of looks similar. But I suppose it's one of them where a lot of the saloons in the day kind of look similar anyway. So. They probably just went with like a stock saloon look and they just carried it over. So Billy the Kid ropes both Bill and Ted in for a poker game. Um, Bill has three aces in his hand, so they accuse Billy, the other two people playing, accuse Billy the Kid of cheating. Uh, big barroom brawl. Uh, Bill and Ted get thrown through a wall uh, into what looks like a room full of hookers. Uh, whether it is or not, I don't know. Um, but yeah. Billy pulls them out, they run over to the booth and pull Billy into the booth. Now, at this point, there is three of them in there and it looks ridiculously cramped. They're squished up against each other. There is not a lot of room to move. However, later on, there's about another seven people that are put in there. Uh, if they didn't take reference from Doctor Who, they've done a very good job because the booth is essentially a TARDIS. Uh, it's a phone booth look, and there is so many people that get in there, it is ridiculous. How's it going? I'm Bill. This is Ted. We're from the future. Socrates. Mm. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with him. <clears throat> All we are is dust in the wind, dude. Dust? Wind. Dude. So this is one of the first musical kind of like they do a few musical reference, but like the first main musical reference via lyrics uh, in the films. Uh, so you've got "All We Are Is Dust in the Wind," which is a song by Kansas, "Dust in the Wind," 
Um, they follow this on in the second film where they go to heaven and they meet, I'm guessing, who's meant to be God. And there's the guy on the door uh, who's like, what is the meaning of life? And they drop the line, every rose has its thorn, which is a poison song. Uh, so it's it's smart how they throw all these musical references in there. Um, like one of the next clips, which I will actually play now. Put them in the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden? Excellent! Execute them. Odious. So there's a Iron Maiden reference in there. So, yeah. They want to be in bands, and the writers smartly wrote in a lot of musical references in there, be it lines they use that are lyrics from songs or just band references. And I really enjoyed it. It's Being a musician myself, it was a really, really smart way of writing the script. Um, but, yeah, we get introduced to Socrates there, who they... What makes me laugh is at the beginning when they're reading his name from the book, they were like, Socrates, uh, philosophizer, this, that, and other. And he's like, I think the line something like that. I know that name. It's Socrates. Uh, and they call him Socrates through the film. Uh, and apparently that stuck on a lot of presentations in America from that when they were doing history things, people started calling him Socrates. Uh, it's really, really funny. And I called him Socrates for the longest time. Uh, but yeah, they pick up uh, the minute they've got Billy, they've got Socrates. Uh, they then travel to medieval England, and again, another bit I noticed in the background is just watching Billy and Socrates play American football, or hand-egg as we'll call it, because it's not football, you don't use your feet. Um, they're just like throwing a ball back and forth to each other, uh, but it made me laugh because like Socrates has never done it before, uh, so he's like trying to trick him out and pretending to go around his back to throw it, and then just like chucking it in really fast. And it's just little bits that are happening in the background that I can't count how many times I watch this film, but just random things that you don't pick up on on the first time. Like, for example, last night I watched uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, seen it countless times, had it on VHS as a kid, wore the tape out, I watched it that much. Never noticed the actor that plays Arthur Slugworth, big giant scar across his cheek, never noticed it before. And I probably watched that when I was five for the first time. So nearly 30 years and I've never noticed this big giant scar on the guy's face. Uh, but yeah, just watching background stuff and what's going on. Um, you can pick up quite, kind of few cool things uh, by doing it. You killed Tang, you medieval dickweed! <laughs> okay, so this is where the film falls into a couple of problems. Now, the first one, uh, there's going to be three altogether that I bring up in this. The first one, uh, Bill thinks Ted's died. He's fallen down the stairs. There's a knight at the bottom, drives a sword through the chest of armour. Uh, the guy fights him. Uh, the guy, Ted goes, Bill goes down, sorry, goes, Ted, don't be dead on me, dude. Guy comes in, has a fight. Ted reappears, hits the guy over the head with a leg of meat. Now, Ted's reasoning to how he survived is he fell out the suit when he hit the floor. This is problem number one. They are in a full suit of armour. If you look how the armour is built, and how Bill's armour is currently on him, and how he takes it off, the only way to remove that suit of armour is to physically lift the top half of it over your head, and the bottom half to take off like you would trousers. 
And then he's also wearing the helmet as well. So you'd have to take the helmet off, the chest piece off, the legs off, which means the top half and the bottom half are going in two separate directions to take it off. The suit at the bottom is in one complete piece. So that essentially means that Ted's hit the floor, the suit has split in two different directions, Ted has rolled out of the suit in about half a second before the guys appeared to stab him, and the suit has magically joined back together again. So unless this suit is magnetic, that's a problem. Um, it's never made any sense, even as a kid. There is no way that Ted could have fell, fall, fallen, fallen, Jimmy Fallon, Ted could have fallen out of that suit and rolled out of the road or hidden quick enough to where he couldn't die. Because Bill follows him straight down the stairs when he falls. And there's maybe three to four seconds delay between Bill getting there and him seeing the guy put the sword through him. So, yeah, that bothers me a little bit. Also, and this is quite a serious one. This is a film of the time. Uh, as I said it, at the beginning, it's 1989, if I remember rightly. Uh, just double check. Uh, yes, February 17th, 1989. Now... Ted hits the floor, he explains about the suit, gets up, hugs Bill. There is then the use of the homophobic slur, which starts with F. This is problematic. This isn't This isn't on nowadays. Again, it's a product of the times, it's an old film. However, using that word in a film just isn't on anymore. And if you watch the... Uh, audition tapes, they're on YouTube uh, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves audition Bill and Ted there is a lot of that slur that's dropped all the time uh, that it kind of ruins the film a little bit for me because as I say it's not it's not a nice word, it's not something that should be used uh, and it is only dropped once in this one I think it's dropped a couple of times in the second one um, which was early 90s, I think it was about 91 that that got made, 92 but yeah, it's it's not a word that should be used in any film nowadays, um, or used in real life. Nobody should be using that word. Uh, sadly, it is dropped in this one. Um, I'm surprised that there hasn't been an edit that has taken it off, and it's basically just because they give each other a hug because he's happy that Ted's not dead, and then they drop that word. So yeah, the film has got its flaws. That is sadly one of them. So they meet the princesses, uh, they explain that, well they don't kind of explain that the time travels, they basically say that they're, they're meant to be, well when they meet the daddies, the Earl of Preston and the Duke of Ted, so they're making themselves out to be royalty and they've been sent to deliver this message of love from themselves. Uh, then you get the Iron Maiden clip, uh, and then they are taken outside and they are going to be executed. Now, the rope that is holding them down could have been slipped by anybody because the rope goes over the back of the neck, it loops round their arm once, and that is it. And it's not even tight when they're on the knees before it gets pulled. They could have literally just lowered the head and the rope would have fallen off. Uh, so, yeah, another one where attention to detail, the people that were making it not really looked into a massive amount. But, again, it is what it is. So, they're about to get executed. The ropes get pulled. Their heads drop onto the block. The executioners bring down the axes, hit the ropes, ropes off to reveal Socrates and Billy the Kid have taken over the execution rolls. How, you, how this happens never gets explained. Uh, they jump 
on the back of the wagon that's picked up the phone booth and drive off, jump in, travel to the future. This is where we meet the three most important people again. Uh, so, as we mentioned at the beginning, the three most important people are Clarence Clemens, who was the saxophonist in the E Street Band with Bruce Springsteen, Martha Davis, who is the lead singer of the Motels, and Fee Waybill, who is the lead singer of a band called The Tubes, and also has worked with a band called Toto, uh, which, if you've never heard Africa, I don't know what rock you've been living underneath, because it was everywhere a couple of years ago when Weezer recovered it. Uh, so they meet them. Uh, that's meant to be the future. To be fair, it looks like a pretty rubbish future city, apart from them three are floating. That's pretty cool. Uh, the new Bill and Ted film, they go back to the future again. Uh, bam, back to the future. And they meet... They're not the three most important people. It's like the Great Council this time. One of them is the mum from um, Two and a Half Men. Uh, but the future in the new one looks a lot nicer because it's all CG. So, at this point, they then start jumping through time because they need to collect the rest of the figures that they need. So, first up, they go to Austria and go and grab Sigmund Freud, or Frude, however you want to pronounce it, Frude Dude. Uh, then they go to Germany and pick up Ludwig van Beethoven, who they call Beethoven later on, Dave Beethoven, if I remember right. Uh, they then go and pick up Joan of Arc, who is Jane Weedlin from The Runways, uh, the band that, was it? Joan Jett, I believe, was in. Oh, no, that was Joan Jett and the Arrows. Um, just give me one second. I am just doing the research on this one. The Runaways. It was... Uh, 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 past members. Oh, no, sorry, I tell the light. It was Joan Jett. It was Joan Jett. Lita Ford was in there at one point. Uh, it was Sandy West, Jackie Fox. Uh, Sherry Curran was in there. Uh, but, 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 in fact, no, was it The Runaways? Okay, no, sorry. This is not right, I don't believe. Jane Weedlin. Oh, sorry, Jane Weedlin was The Go-Go's, uh, which was Belinda Carlisle, Jane Weedlin, Charlotte Caffey, Gina Shock, and Kathy Valentine. Uh, so a completely different band, yeah. Jane Weedlin was in The Go-Go's, not The Runaways. Uh, so, yep, yeah, we meet Jane Weedlin. She's playing Joan of Arc. Uh, we then go to Mongolia, and they pick up Genghis Khan, and then finally to the White House, where good old Abe Lincoln himself gets pulled into the booth by Genghis Khan. So, at this point, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There is nine of them in the phone booth. Now, at the beginning, Billy the Kid's in there, and there is no room to move. Somehow, they managed to squeeze nine people into that booth. However, the bit that is ever so slightly confusing is it shows them all riding through the circuits of time in the booth and the booth's on its side and they're all stood up in it to get everybody in. That makes sense. That's fine. However, they never show them turning the booth over because they're going to have to lower it down to be able to do that. And then later on, when they, get, they come back to current times... Uh, and, well, they go to the night before first, then the current times. The booth is the normal way up, and everybody's packed into there. So at some point, they've dropped the booth on the side, got everybody to stand in it, and then flipped to the booth back onto its end again and put everybody back in again. Makes no sense. Them people would not fit in there. There is too many people to fit in that booth. Rant over. 
Excusez-moi, monsieur. Oh, they're not so fast, buddy. Indeed. You ain't paid yet. Pay? Pay. I don't want to see you around here anymore. Eat it. Who am I going to say, monsieur? Eat it, buddy. So Napoleon gets ditched, uh, Deacon's taking him, and one bit I did miss before this, sorry, uh, they go to the restaurant, Napoleon and Deacon, two of his friends, uh, and they go and try and eat the Ziggy Piggy, which is the big bowl of ice cream. The two guys that serve them, the two waiters, are Ed and Chris, who wrote the film. Uh, so yeah, they take Napoleon bowling, he goes to throw the ball, ends up sliding halfway down the ramp, or whatever you want to call it, the bowling aisle. Uh, Deacon ditches him, and this sets up an amazing joke, and again, very smart writing, that because Napoleon's disappeared, Bill and Ted need to find him, where's the one place they go in San Dimas, and the Battle of Waterloo, they go to the Waterloo Water Park. Now, that water park looks amazing. Uh, I've been to one, it was a long time ago, I was probably 14 or 15, and it was in Benidorm, uh, there's a big water park out that way, and that was amazing. They got a, kamikaze, a kamikaze death slide, which was a almost vertical straight down drop. And you went on that thing, you had to cross your arms and your legs, but the water pressure that was hitting your feet and flicking up into your face was that hard, it actually stung your face and led, left red welts. Um, they got a big river rapids that went around the outside of the park where you could get on a rubber ring. They got this zip line thing, which unfortunately I've got bad memories of that because I swung, slipped, and landed. I dropped about ten foot and landed back first on water, and I couldn't breathe for about ten minutes after that. It was really painful. Uh, but aside from that, the rest of the water park, really cool place. Don't even know if it's open anymore. Cannot remember for the life of me what it was called. All I remember, it was about ten minutes from the outskirts of Benidorm. So if you are out over that way and you do want to go to water park, and if it is still there go to it it's highly recommended so the booth's broken uh when they're coming from medieval england the guy with the mace hit the top of it he's broke one of the antennas so the time machine's all over the place so they end up in prehistoric times uh, give, uh ted gives everybody some gum choose the chewing gum and they pass it along build the ball together and bill is sat on the booth basically fixing the antenna the sound that Bill, once he gets the gum and he squeezes it and it makes a squelchy sound, is absolutely disgusting. I've got the volume up really high on my telly and it is super. It's like, it was like, oh, that is vile. Um, so, yeah, they finally fix the booth, uh, jump back in, and they end up where the film started, where the, the first set of Bill and Ted's meet the future Bill and Ted's, and he tells Ted to don't forget to wind his watch and all that type of thing. Um, they realise that they think they've got eight hours le- uh, 10 hours left. They've only got two hours left because they forgot to wind the watch. They need to dial one number higher to come back to the current time. So they do that, land in the garden. Uh, Missy's doing the gardening, and they introduce all of the historical people as they're coming out. So it's like Bob Genghis Khan, um, Dave Beethoven, and then they get to Abe, Lin- Abe Lincoln, who pops out, pops his hat up, and he's like, and Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so, yep. Yeah. They need a lift to the mall because the whole part of the history project is how do you think that historical figures would find current day San Dimas? So they think that what's the best place we can take them? Let's take them to the mall and they can learn from there. 
so she says, nope, you're not doing it. You need to do your chores. So they basically stick everybody on the chore duty with the William L. Tell overture to the top of it. Uh, and it's got things like Sig Freud is hoovering the settee and then sticks the hoover to his face. You've got um, Genghis Khan is cleaning the toilet and then tries sticking his head down there. Billy the Kid, who's watching Joan of Arc wash the plates, and he's just spitting on it and wiping it with his arm. Uh, he then empties one of the plates with rubbish on it just into a drawer because he doesn't want to do it. Uh, so, yeah, and then they finally go to the mall. Okay, um, Thank you. I need the Lincoln hat and the stupid beard back. You don't understand. I'm Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, right. Ha, ha, ha. Come on, mister. That's my hat and my beard. <laughs> Okay, so I had to put some of the music on that because that solo is one of the best solos in any song ever. Uh, that is Extreme, a song called Play With Me, uh, and it basically takes a classical musical piece and turns it into a ripping guitar solo by Nuno Betancourt. Um, I said earlier on I got three problems with this film. I'm actually going to add a fourth one for this scene. So basically what's happened is Bill and Ted have left to go and find Napoleon. They've left all the other historical figures to their own devices in the mall and basically go... Have a look around, see what you think. We'll come back and pick you up later on. So everybody splits off, goes and does different things. So Sigmund, uh, Sigmund Freud, he... In fact, I don't actually know what he does. Um, he's there somewhere. Um, Billy the Kid and Socrates uh, are up near the restaurant area and Billy's flirting with two girls that are up there. Um, Beethoven finds the music shop and starts playing around with the piano. Um, who else is the Joan of Arc finds a it's like a fitness session that's going on uh, and basically takes over on that one and um, Genghis Khan he finds the sports shop because he wants a new club so he swaps his club for the baseball bat so chaos ensues uh, basically Billy's running around he's shooting his gun as you heard at the beginning of the clip Abraham Lincoln's gone to like a portrait place and they think that he's got a costume on so they're trying to take it back when really it's his the issue I've got here is that the majority of them have warrant to be arrested at the end of it. So Billy's firing a gun in a mall. Yeah, you're going to get arrested. Abraham Lincoln, kind of as theft. Yeah, all right. Joan of Arc pushes the woman off stage, takes over the fitness instruction. Okay, fair enough. Not overly extreme, but it is what it is. Here's where my issues lie. So Sigmund Freud gets arrested. He hasn't done anything. He literally is on the escalator as he comes up the stairs with Abraham Lincoln. He gets arrested. He's not doing anything. Surely they should have took Lincoln, and that's it. Also, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Beethoven gets arrested. All he's done is he's sat playing the keyboards in a music shop, pulled a load of people in to watch the performance, and the guy gets the police on him. Surely, if people are coming into your music shop to watch somebody play, that's pulling your business because people can see your products. I have never understood why Beethoven got arrested for that. 
uh, all right, they might have gone well you with this group, but he's not done anything wrong, so they have no no warrant to arrest him. He's not done anything wrong. He's pl- he's just sat playing piano. So yeah, it's that's my other problem with the film. I say there is four. Um, oh, in fact, sorry, I tell a lie. There is five, uh, which involve the next two clips. Uh, but yeah, don't get my bet over the signal before I get arrested. They've not done anything, but they still get locked up anyway. Uh, so Bill and Ted come back, realize they've been arrested, have to go and break them out of the prison. Can we get your dad's keys? could steal him, but he lost him two days ago. Only we could go back in time to when he had him and steal him then. Well, why can't we? Because we don't got time. We could do it after the report. Ted, good thinking, dude. After the report, we'll time travel back to two days ago, steal your dad's keys, and leave him here. Where? I don't know. How about behind that sign? That way, when we get here now, they'll be waiting for us. See? Whoa, yeah! So, after the report, we can't forget to do this, otherwise it won't happen. But it did happen. Hey, it was me who stole my dad's keys. Exactly, Ted. Okay. This is issue number four. So, basically, what's happened is Bill and Ted have travelled back to two days prior, stole Ted's dad's keys because Ted's dad won't let the historical figures out of the prison. So they've stole his keys to basically break them out. So they now say that after they have done the presentation, they need to travel back in time, make sure they steal the keys to make sure they're there for future Bill and Ted. Also, when they go into the police station, there is a message that comes through on the fax machine that say, good luck in your uh, thing, PS duck, because there's a guy that's about to stand up. If they're not duck, they wouldn't have seen him. Here's where my issue lies, and it's basically a time travel paradox. So they are saying they've got the keys. After they've done the show, they need to travel back. However, on the very first incarnation of this happening, now this could be a multiverse. So this Bill and Ted that we're seeing here for this clip could be, I don't know, the 100th Bill and Ted that have done this. They're, They're definitely at least the second in terms of this film. The original Bill and Ted's, the very first time this ever happened in this multiverse... How did they get Ted's dad's keys? Because there was nobody previous to them that's time-travelled back to be able to get them. Which means they, the first original incarnation of Bill and Ted never broke everybody out of the jail, never did their presentation. Ted had got sent to Alaska, and their lives would have been ruined, basically. There would have been no wild stallions. They could have then set up for the second Bill and Ted because they could have then time-traveled back, stole the keys and set it up. But the very first incarnation of Bill and Ted in the multiverse would have never been able to do the presentation because there was nobody prior to them to be able to steal the dad's keys. And this is where a lot of sci-fi time-travel films and TV shows tend to fall down on in that there's always some form of paradox that can't be explained on how did the very first one and they make the exact same mistake in the second one when denomalos appears uh, at the concert at the end of the film uh, they set it all up so the cage drops on him but then he spawns a key that opens the cage and then he spawns a gun but it turns out the gun's fake and it pops out the flag and they basically say that once 
that's happened, they need to travel back to make sure that's set up for it to happen for the future Bill and Ted's. But the very first incarnation wouldn't have been able to because they basically would have died. Denomalos would have shot them because he had a gun. And they make him drop the gun because they drop a sandbag on his hand. That wouldn't have happened to the first Bill and Ted. They would have died on that one, so they would have never been able to set up for the second and future incarnations of Bill and Ted. So, time travel paradoxing is a load of rubbish. And again, I know it's only a film and it's not a real thing, but sort your time travel paradoxes out. Come on, people. It's not a hard thing to do. So, basically, yeah, they get the keys, they break everybody out. They also set up a trash can to drop on Ted's dad's head because he's trying to stop them. They all bundle in the car, shoot on over to the auditorium where their presentation's about to take place. Uh, the guy thinks they're going to be late, the teacher, so he starts giving the, like the final speech, going, thank you, we're one down. Um, just to let you know, lights cut out, voiceover appears, hello, Sandemus, and it's time for the Wild Stallions to do their presentation. Four scoring. Seven minutes ago, we, your forefathers, were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure, conceived by our new friends, Bill and Ted. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time, just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! So basically, they start doing the presentation. Uh, everybody brings some form of their character into what they're basically teaching. Now, the first off, this is the final issue that I've got with this film. Um, the first person up is Billy the Kid. He's like, hi, I'm Billy the Kid. The audience aren't paying attention. So Billy pulls his gun out and shoots out a light. That shit don't fly. Um, I know that it was after this film. And it wasn't because of this film. It was a good few years after. But we had things, unfortunately, like um, the Columbine Massacre and shootings in schools, and uh, I can't remember the name, unfortunately, it's bad of me, but there was the shooting up in Scotland, I want to say it was, was it the Dunkirk Massacre? No, it wasn't Dunkirk, um, again, let me just search this one second, Scotland school shooting, sorry, the Dunblane Massacre, I know it started done, it was the Dunblane Massacre, which 1996, uh, somebody basically went into the school and shot dead 16 children and one teacher and injuring 15 others before shooting himself. Uh, so, unfortunately, gun culture in school after this film got a lot worse, and it is horrible. There's been multiple school shootings over the years, and gun control needs to be a lot more on the ball because, unfortunately, and again, America's the worst for this. Over in the UK, guns aren't as readily available. But in America, you stick your name down on a list for seven days and you get a gun. 
So, yeah, gun culture does need to change a little bit, and it would stop all these shootings. Um, but to pull a gun out in a school, shoot a light out, and the kids are like, ah, well, okay, let's carry on. They don't run. They don't scream for their lives. They just scream once, and then that's it. So that's, yeah, that's another one that's a little bit of a bugbear on this film. Uh, so basically everybody's going through all the talents. So Joan of Arc is sword fighting uh, with Bill, I believe it is. Uh, Napoleon is doing like a military thing. He's got a board a bit like Risk and he's going through and pointing at his plans. And his plan is to basically build giant water slides across Europe. Uh, Sigmund Freud does a bit of um, psychiatry. And he's basically going into Ted's thing because of his father, like his dad's failures are trying to rub off on Ted. Um, you've also got Mozart, uh, not Mozart, sorry, Beethoven, who's playing the music. You've got uh, Genghis Khan, who's doing like a martial arts type display. Uh, Socrates is basically explaining through sign language, well, not sign language, but like charades in a way, uh, what he loves about San Dimas and everything that he's done. And then you get that final speech from Abraham Lincoln. Um, I remember, again, being a kid, shouting, be excellent to each other, party on dudes. Uh, and also, another bit, again, noticing things in the background. Midway through uh, the... I think it's when Beethoven's playing the piano. Uh, all the audience just look like they're eating, I don't know if it's yoghurt or pudding, but they've got like little pots with spoons and they're just eating it in the audience. No explanation to where it come from. They're just eating something random from a pot midway through. Uh, so basically they have done the uh, presentation they all get back into the phone booth all disappear it then cuts to i'm assuming what would be a couple of days a couple of weeks later and they basically sit down bill and ted sit down because they've gone back to i'm bill s preston i'm ted we're the wild stallions and they finally realize that in order if they want to get anywhere they need to be able to learn how to play rufus appears and rufus brings them uh, a Steinberger custom GP guitar with the... It's got no headstock on it. Personally, I think they look absolutely disgusting. I've seen a couple of people in bands playing over the years that are playing the head, headstockless guitars. And I think they just look a bit stupid. They look a bit broken, if anything. Uh, notoriously difficult to tune. Notoriously difficult to keep in tune. Um, but yeah, Rufus brings them the guitars. Uh, the princesses also are with him, and you get the joke of Rufus has introduced them to the mall and credit cards. Uh, and basically, Rufus pulls out some CDs that he wants the band to sign uh, because him and his kids are big fans. Um, the CDs themselves are still CDs. However, there is a video cover to them, which isn't a thing that has ever taken off, and it, again, it does date the film a little bit because nowadays you've got things like MP3s. Um, so, yeah, uh, Rufus is like, would you mind if I have a go on the guitar? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So he shreds away. Uh, I did try and find, because it is a guitarist that does, I believe, I don't think it was Steve Vai. Um, oh, uh, Stevie Salas, that's the one. Stevie Salas is the guy's hands that are actually playing the guitar and it just cuts back and forth between him playing the guitar and then Rufus's reactions to him pretending to play the guitar. Uh, and basically it then kicks into the end of the film 
where it is the start of the Wild Stallions with Joanna and Elizabeth as being part of the band. Two, one, two, three, four. So again, apologies for the audio clip on that one. I couldn't actually find the clip long enough for the piece that I wanted. Um, but yeah, there's the joke of they do get better because apparently Bill and Ted are the ones that are going to save the world, uh, which does link into the Bill and Ted 3, uh, which is they've got to write the song that saved the world. So that is it for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, as I say, it is one of the films from when I was a kid that I grew up with. Uh, lo- absolutely love the film, still do. Like I've said in there, there is a few issues. Like I said, there is the homophobia that runs over the two films. Um, it is a bit of a product of its time. It does date itself a little bit, especially with like the fashions and things like that. Uh, again, if any of my American friends can explain why in any American film, if they've got a convertible, they can't open the back door and uh, like get into the car normally. They've got to stand on the side of the car and jump in. It doesn't look cool and it just damages your car. If anybody can explain that, I would be greatly appreciated. So they did make a Bill and Ted 2, which is Bill and Ted's bogus journey. One day I will eventually get around to that. Uh, the basic plot line of that is uh, that set in the future, even Bill and Ted, who are robots, get sent by a guy called Denomalos to kill Bill and Ted. Uh, Bill and Ted then go to hell, have to play death to get out of hell, and death joins the band, and it ends with Kiss. The reason I will be doing that, and I will try and get my friend Tom in on that episode, is because the film ends with "God Gave Rock and Roll to You" by Queen, and there is a part of that fil- uh, part of that song where uh, I believe it's oh, his name's escaped me. Who's the lead singer of Kiss? Um, it's not Ace Freely, I don't think. Uh, Kiss, where are you? Kiss, 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 kiss. Uh, Paul Stanley, that's the one. Paul Stanley goes, people, we have been given a gift, we have been given a role, and that role's name is Rock and Roll, and my friend Tom absolutely hates it. So I might just have to bring him on just for that clip alone. But that will be at a later point. They did make Bill and Ted 2. As I said, they have made a Bill and Ted 3. Uh, Anybody in the UK that is listening to this, it's not been released just yet. I believe it's out some point next month. Uh, People in the US have already got it. There is ways and means of watching it. If you can, I highly recommend it. Thought it was going to be disappointing. Is really good film. Uh, they went a little bit of a different turn. I thought they would. There is Death who returns from the second film. Unfortunately, none of the original cast are in it. Uh, bar, uh, sorry, I told a lie at the beginning. I said none of the original cast bar Alex Winters and Keanu Reeves. Um, Bill, uh, Ted's dad, the police guy, and Missy. They're both in it. Uh, because Missy's actually marrying Deacon, but Deacon's a different actor. Uh, Joanna and Elizabeth are in it, but they're played by two completely different people. So I'm not technically classing them as the same people. But yeah, original actress who played Missy, original actor who played Ted's dad, and Bill and Ted are the same people. But yeah, if you can get it, go give it a watch. It is highly recommended. Uh, There was... I have been doing karaoke over the last three episodes... Unfortunately, with this one, I was looking into a karaoke track and there is nothing really that was going to work. It was either going to be Extreme to Play With Me, which is ridiculously fast and I tried it and I can't get the lyrics down, or there was one called Two Heads Are Better Than One and the boys and girls are doing it, actually, come to think of it. 
can't find karaoke tracks for either. So unfortunately on this occasion there will not be any karaoke. Uh, the score for this episode, I was a little bit up and down on it, as I say, with it having its flaws uh, after reviewing it a couple of times. I think that I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10. It's a good film. It's an hour and a half watch. It, it doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to really concentrate on it. Um, yeah, it, it's worth a good 7 out of 10, I believe. So, that is the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Now, here we go for the trailer for the next episode. Uh, so, I will be doing these every second Sunday. So, the next episode will be on the 4th of October. Here it is, the trailer for episode 5 of the Black Magic Picture Show. You're, uh, you're telling me that dinosaurs rule, rule the Earth. Welcome to the Black Magic Picture Show. We spared no expense. Hello, everybody, and on Sunday, the 4th of October, will be episode 5 of the Black Magic Picture Show. This episode will be the 90s classic Jurassic Park. So come and join me as we talk about dinosaurs and that Jeff Goldblum meme. We are live on Twitch at 8 pm GMT, so come and join in at twitch.tv forward slash the Black Magic Picture Show. This is not one to be missed. Clever girl. So there we are in two weeks' time on Sunday, the 4th of October. It will be Jurassic Park. Uh, another, Again, another film I absolutely love nowadays. Uh, there will be a story that is told as to why I've never saw the full film until I was 13. And I'll probably get a little bit of abuse from it afterwards, but I'm not bothered. It was something that happened in real life. Um, and yeah, I'll go into that in more detail. So, I want to thank everybody for stopping by. Anybody that is listening to this at a later point, uh, your support is greatly appreciated. Now, if you do want to be part of the podcast, anybody that comes onto Twitch TV, uh, the Twitch channel, you can subscribe to The Black Magic Show. Dependent on what tier you sign in at, uh, you do get to be part of the show. So, tier one it will get you access to basically be able to come and be part of the trivia section that I'm looking at doing and getting set up. Uh, sign in at tier two, and basically you can be a special guest on the episode that we are doing, be there for the entire episode recording, you'll be part of the questions, uh, people can throw questions at you, you're more than welcome to be on there. And tier three, you get a chance to basically pick what film we do. If you want to put any segments in, you can be part of the trivia. You'll be on the entire show. You'll get a special credit at the beginning of every episode. The options are there, people. If you do want to be part of it, if you're not 100% what everything gets involved, just drop me a message. I'm on Twitch. You can grab me on Facebook. Uh, you can get me on Twitter. I'm at The Black Magic Show and yeah basically come and be part of it i'm hoping to build this bigger and i want some people involved in the show i want to do a trivia section so we can basically pull people in and i can have a chat to people i'm not gonna lie it's quite difficult essentially talking to yourself for we've been on for an hour and 16 minutes um some of the other episodes have been an hour and a half one was nearly two hours it is difficult i want to chat to people about films i am a big film fan and uh yeah i want to i want to speak to some like-minded people so if you do pop in as i say if you do subscribe you'll be part of the show and it'll be a load of fun so that is me signing off remember if you do want to follow me on twitter my handle is at the black magic show 
on Twitch if you're listening to this through any form of good podcast service. Uh, the Twitch channel is twitch.tv forward slash the Black Magic Show. And that is magic with a K at the end of it. So it's M A G I C K. And that is the end of the show, people. Thank you so much for sticking around. Like I say, we'll be back in two weeks' time for Jurassic Park. So take it easy. And in the words of Abraham Lincoln, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes!